0: All right, we are back in the story of Joseph today in our series, Overcome. But before we jump into the story of Joseph, I want to tell you about a man named Greg. Greg was an assistant professor at a university, so he was just starting out his career not making very much money. And he needed to write a book of his studies in order to advance in his career. But as he was working on that, at the same time, his wife left him for another man. So he was struggling with the sadness that came with that, but also she took his two small children. So into this depression and this divorce that's happening in his life, he is struggling and he's beginning to struggle financially, trying to pay legal fees in order to gain custody of his children that he loved. For two years, he battled in the courts, spending all the money he had to get his his kids back. And when he finally did, he realized he was a broke single dad working a job that didn't pay enough money to provide for his family. When we hear stories about people like Greg, which is a true story, we wonder why. Why would someone like that have to deal with something so difficult, so challenging in his life? And, and maybe some of you hear that and think, man, I can think of ten stories that are way worse that are happening right now in my life or in the lives of people like me. And we think, why do those things happen? Why is this this period of suffering, of trial, of difficulties in our lives? Why do we have to go into the pit? Have you been there before, the pit? When you're going there and it just seems like things couldn't get any worse. And sometimes they do. You wonder, how do I get out of this? It feels like I can't get out. I'm just stuck here in this pit. And we wonder, why? Why is this happening? Why me? Everything was going right. Everything was good in my life. And and why is this happening? I'm a good person. We wonder, why is this happening? And that question, why, haunts us. And today I cannot give you the answer to your particular why. I just can't. I don't know your specific situation, and sometimes we don't know for years, maybe even in our entire life, why it happened. But I can tell you a bigger principle that we're going to learn today from the life of Joseph. Because we're talking about overcoming series, because we all have these things that are extremely difficult. Maybe you haven't faced it yet, but you will. That's what happens. And we go through these times and we're wondering, why is this happening to me? Why the depression? Why the divorce? Why the struggle? Why the hardship? Why the financial difficulties? I'm in debt. I'm struggling. How do I get through this? How do I overcome? In this whole series, we're going to look at that through the life of Joseph. And last week we were introduced to him, but today we're going to talk about the why of it. Why does any of this happen to begin with? Because if we don't have that grasp in our mind, if we don't understand it up here then having the principles of how we get through isn't going to help. We have to understand in our minds so that when we learn some of the principles through this series about how we continue to overcome the skills we need to develop, that we're going to be able to put them into practice because we understand a little bit more about the broader picture of why these things happen. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it with me to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. We're going to start in verse 12 in this This sermon today and we're going to go through the end of the chapter and and like I say with these big chapters when we cover I'm not going to read every single verse, but every verse every word is important. So read it on your own And we're going to jump again into the life of joseph as we see joseph in the pit literally joseph in the pit so If you weren't here last week, joseph is one of the patriarchs Of israel the nation of israel god chose abraham first patriarch and the forefather, maybe that's another word that is easier for you. Then his son Isaac and then Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 sons of whom whom Joseph was the 11th of these 12 sons. But Joseph was the most beloved of his father, Jacob. Jacob loved him so much that he treated him with a lot of favoritism. And all his other 11 brothers saw that and hated him for that. Joseph would, uh, it says, give a bad report on his brothers, which was probably a very negative thing, maybe even slandering them, gossiping about them, saying something very negative about his other brothers. So they begin to hate him. And then his father, in the show of favoritism, gave him this beautiful, ornate robe that was like a royal robe, what princes and princesses wore. And he would strut around in that robe, and his brothers got even more hatred in their hearts to this brother who was basically taking their father's favoritism and maybe would take the inheritance away from them. So then when Joseph had these two dreams, the first one of his sheaf, as they're going out and cutting wheat, his sheaf standing tall and all the sheafs of his brothers coming around and bowing down to him. And then the second dream was the sun, the moon, the stars, 11 stars, his 11 brothers, all coming and bowing down to him. Even his father, who loved him more than the other brothers, rebuked him. Jacob so said, what are you talking about? Am I and your mother going to bow down with your brothers to you? But Joseph told him these dreams and made his brothers hate him even more. So that's where we pick up this story. His brothers hate him. They're jealous of him. And they're just brooding on that. It says they couldn't even speak a good word about their brother. Nothing good came out of their mouth about him. Instead, they would mock him, as we'll see in this story. It comes into that time that Joseph now is 17 years old, and his father, Jacob, tells Joseph, Okay, I want you to go out into the fields where your brothers are watching the flocks, the sheep, the goats. And they're out in the fields so that they can eat grass, so that they can pasture. And I want you to go to them to come back and bring another report to me. I don't know what his father was thinking. Maybe his father was oblivious to the hatred and jealousy of his other brothers. But Joseph, being daddy's favorite, says, okay, I'll do it. He obliges him and he goes out to a place called Shechem. And I have this map here because sometimes we read these names and we're like, where the heck is this? As you can see, this is modern-day Israel that I have these lines uh, drawn. You can see that white line in Jordan to the east. And in the valley of Hebron was where Jacob and his family lived, but up near Shechem was where the brothers were watching the flocks. So Joseph then heads from Hebron all the way up to Shechem. But when he gets there, where there's supposed to be these brothers of his, they're not there. The fields are empty. He's scouring all over the co- countryside. And this journey probably was about 50 miles. It would have taken about five days back then to travel that distance. So this is a long way to travel. He travels all the way there, and they're not there. He runs into somebody there who was in the area of Shechem, and he asks this man, well, hey, have you seen my brothers? Have you seen them out there? And he says, oh, I know where they are. They're in Dothan. So then you see this next city of Dothan is just a region where maybe there's better grazing. So he travels another 15 miles north to Dothan, which would have taken another day's journey. So now six days Joseph has been traveling to find his brothers. And guess what he's wearing? Yeah, his ornate, fancy royal robe. His fancy robe, and the the word ornate in there is probably mean long sleeve, because when you're working you needed short sleeves. Uh, it, It wouldn't make sense to have long sleeves that would get in the way. And he has this ornate robe that for six days of traveling out into the fields, he's wearing. And we know that because as he's coming up, his brothers recognize him. In the distance, they see him in his fancy royal robe. Can you just imagine what they would think? Thought, we're here to work. We're all working. We've been out here for days, weeks, months. And you're coming in this royal robe, and they see him in the distance. And their hatred grows even stronger for their brother. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 17. In verse 17, we read that so Joseph went after his brothers. But they saw him, in verse 18, in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. If he thinks we're going to bow down to him, (laughs) his dreams are not going to be coming true. They plot to murder their own brother. They plot to murder their own brother, to throw him in a cistern. Now, these cisterns are all over the countryside in this area of Dothan. Even to this day, there's a lot of limestone in the area, and the water starts to slowly form these um, pits in the ground. And in that day, they didn't have a great way to store water, so they would use these natural limestone pits to catch water. A lot of these pits would be almost down to 20 feet deep. And they would have a narrow opening and they would get wider as they'd go. So when they would work in these cisterns, they would dig them out a little bit farther if they could to chisel out. And then they would fill the inside with plaster. Because if it didn't, there'd be cracks and holes in the pit and the water would run out. But if they caught some of that water in this semi-arid climate, then they could have it to feed their animals, to water their crops, so that they themselves could drink water in the desert at all times. And there's this pit and his brother said, let's just kill them and throw them in one of those pits. Be done with him, because if he's gone, then we don't have to worry about who's the favorite. We don't have to worry about him possibly stealing our inheritance. We can get rid of him. See, what had happened with these brothers is that their jealousy and hatred had taken root in their heart. And it had gotten worse and worse and worse. And this is what jealousy and hatred do when we hold on to them. And this is kind of taking us aside from our big idea that we're going to look at today about the pit. But I want you to know this about jealousy, about hatred. When you hold on to it, it's going to make it worse because jealousy left unchecked, left unopposed, devours. That's the thing. I want you guys to see this. This is a little bonus point for you today that we can glean from these brothers. That this jealousy and hatred that's been in their heart, if you leave it in there and let it grow and grow and grow and you don't oppose it, It will either devour you or it will devour someone else. Because now these brothers are willing to kill their own flesh and blood. They're willing to kill their own flesh and blood. And when Joseph does come close enough, Reuben, the oldest brother, he maybe is the only one that has even a little bit of wisdom, although maybe it's possible that he's just trying to win back his father's pleasure because he had already had uh, his father hate him because he slept with his stepmom. Okay, his dad was angry at him, so maybe he's trying to win back favor from his father. And he says, hey, hey, let's not kill him. Let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in the pit because he was kind of thinking maybe later I'll bring him back and then my father will appreciate me. I'm the only good son then, right? So Reuben makes sure they don't kill him, but they throw him in this pit plotting to kill him, right? They throw him in this pit, their own brother. Their own brother. Because jealousy left unopposed devours. It either devours you from the inside out or it's going to ruin someone else's life. Have you guys ever felt hatred towards someone or jealousy towards someone? Yeah, we have, right? You know, it it begins in our heart and we just say, yeah, I mean, why did they get that? Maybe it's because of the situation you're going through in your life and you see someone else. Man, they're they're a terrible person and everything's going right with them. They have the, the life I want. They live in the house I want. They have the job I want. And they're just... A jerk! How could they do it? And, and you begin to to feel this hatred towards that person. I and mean, doesn't social media make it so much worse? It really does, because you see that person's life all the time, and you're just growing in this anger towards that person. And let me tell you this: for you, jealousy left unopposed devours. And if you're thinking, Matt, it's not that big of a deal. Well, it is a sin. In fact, it's one of the top ten sins, isn't it? Back in the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 20, God had said, Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. He gives this list because he's basically saying, Don't covet, don't be jealous, don't be envious of anything that someone else has. And in a sense, this goes back to an element of faith because if we think we deserve what they have or we want what they have, we're not trusting God with what he's given us. It's an element of faith here. And here's the problem with jealousy is that it always always leads to devouring of either you or the other person. It will lead you to do something awful, to say terrible things about that person or to do something violent or hurtful to that person, to ruin their career maybe. If I just say these words and just whisper them to the right person, maybe it's going to ruin their life. In James chapter 4, we read, "What is the source of conflict among you? What is the source of your disputes?" Don't they come from your cravings? They're at war in your own lives. You long for something you don't have, so you commit murder. You are jealous for something you can't get, so you struggle and fight. And if you're like that, I would never murder anybody. That's because somebody would catch you. Seriously, a lot of times we're just afraid, but we feel it in our heart. If I could, if there's a way to get rid of that person, get them out of this job, get them out of this this situation, get them out of my friend group, if I could just get them out of my family, man, life would be so much better. Uh, Melissa and I have been watching this TV show called Cold Justice. It's on Netflix now. And it's like examining all these cold cases. And it's amazing how many of the cold cases that you're like, you know immediately who was the murderer because... It's the jealous boyfriend or the jealous lover. Because jealousy is the thing that leads people to murder. Because it just goes in you. Have you ever felt that? It's like overwhelming to your senses. You lose all track of what makes sense at all. And you're willing to do things that you never would before. That's what jealousy does. So this is a little bonus point to you. Don't let jealousy devour you. Fight it. It's one of the top ten sins that God lists. If if you were going to give top ten sins, would you think jealousy was one of them? Well, God did because he knows that it devours us. So I want to challenge you. If you're feeling that jealousy or hatred towards another person, you need to repent of it. You need to confess it today and acknowledge that. Yeah, I've been burning uh, with this envy towards this person, this jealousy. I want to take them down or I want what they have. And you've got to confess it today and then you've got to fight it. Every time it comes up, you need to say a prayer. God, God, I'm sorry that I have this in my heart right now. Would you help change my heart? That's the big problem we have, isn't it? Our hearts are bad. (laughs) Our hearts are sinful. And that's why even these heart sins, God tells us, are sin. It doesn't just matter, am I murdering someone or not? No, even if you have that jealousy to begin with, it is sin. So we've got to fight it. We've got to oppose it. So that's my bonus point for this morning. You guys are getting more than you pay for. That's what I'm talking about. So let's get back to our story because Joseph was left in the pit. And this is what's crazy about it. They threw Joseph in the pit. And then it says his brother sat down to eat a meal. That's jealousy that hatred does. It. The longer it's in there, your heart gets hardened. So he's in this pit, 20 feet deep in this cistern, And we're not told very many details about what's going on. But I could just imagine Joseph in there. Here's some pictures from this region in Dothan. So you can see this pit, and you can look down on, in, into it. And this has been years, so it hasn't been plastered around the sides for a while. But I just want you to think about this pit. I want you to maybe close your eyes for a minute and think about what it would be like to be in that pit. Close your eyes for just a second. In this pit. So we're not told the details, but I can just imagine that Joseph at first is calling out to his brothers. Hey guys, you can't do this. I'm your brother. Dad's going to find out. Dad's going to find out you you can't do this to me. Hey, Hey guys, come on. And he starts to plead with them. Hey, I, I'll, I'll never do that again. I'm, I'm sorry for anything. I, I might have hurt your feelings, guys. I'm sorry. And then maybe he realized that they couldn't hear him or that they had just shut off their ears to his cries. And then he probably would have tried to get himself out of that pit. But because of the plaster walls, there would have been no handholds, no footholds. And Maybe he scampered up a few times and scraped up his arms, his hands. I can just imagine that he's bloody sitting there finally when he realizes he can't get out. At the bottom of this pit. And then I can imagine him starting to cry. That's what I do. 17 year old. In this pit. Can you feel his sobs? How sad he must have felt right there. What is happening to my life? You can open your eyes. be pretty awful, right? I can't even imagine he's there. We're not told how long, but it's probably hours. And it was at lunchtime at noon, so the sun was probably overhead going straight into this pit. It's not dark yet, but it's hot. And before they threw him in, they stripped him of his robe, it says. So he's there naked, at the bottom of this pit, crying. That's a pit, isn't it? Literally. For Joseph, he was in a literal pit. Some of us... We'll never be in a pit like that. But we are in these pits in our lives sometimes, these low points. And for Joseph, I'm calling it the pit. But that pit was just the start of the trials and suffering and difficulties that Joseph would experience. It was just the start. Things would probably get worse for him. They would get worse for years, decades to come. And for us in our lives, we have a pit too. We have those moments when we're like, what can I do? We're crying. We don't know how we can move forward. We're stuck there in the pit. And Why does it happen? Why are we here down at the bottom of this pit? Things did get worse for Joseph. Things did get much worse. Because in the distance, a caravan came over the horizon. And Reuben, the one brother who was there to protect his youngest brother, his second youngest brother, is somehow gone. He had maybe stepped away for a little while. We're not told why. But the other brothers see the caravan coming in the distance, and they think, why are we going to just kill our brother? Let's gain something out of this. Judah is the one who leads the charge with this. It's interesting. We'll come back to Judah later in our story. But Judah is the one who says, let's make some money for this. Because as the caravan comes up, they think we can sell our brother as a slave. And instead of just killing him and covering up the murder, we can make some money at it. And they do. They sell him for 20 pieces of silver. 20 pieces of silver. Not a ton of money to split between the the brothers there, but... They make something. They sell them to these Midianite traders that are coming through. And we're going to have the map come up again. They would have been coming from the northeast, which is modern-day Syria. And they're coming through Dothan. And they buy Joseph now as a slave. And they take him all the way 500 miles to the southwest into Egypt. 500 miles was a long distance. If it took five days to go 50 miles talking ten times that, right? This is a long journey that Joseph is going away from his family, and now he is enslaved. And it says at the very end of our chapter, in verse 36, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So Joseph's pit wasn't just that literal pit. Now he is literally in slavery. He's literally in slavery. Someone else owns him, a foreigner, in a land that he did not know, speaking a language he could not speak. And that's where we're going to pick up our story next week. Joseph in Potiphar's house. See, this was just the beginning of Joseph's trials. But for him, it was a pit. It was a pit. And we wonder, well, why would that happen to Joseph? Why would God let something like that happen? Isn't that the why question too? We wonder... if there's a God, why would he do something like that? Why would he allow all this awful thing to help? These are the patriarchs, right? These are the fathers of the faith. And they're throwing their own brother into a pit, meaning to kill him and then selling him away, thinking we'll never see him again. When they bring, the brothers bring that story back to their father Jacob, what they do is take that beautiful ornate robe and they kill a goat. and They put his blood on. The goat's blood all over the robe, and they take it to their father. And their father immediately says, Oh no, an animal must have killed him, a lion or something. And he begins to weep. He was crying, and they try to comfort their father. Everyone goes in to try to comfort him, but for days, weeks, and months on end, he's mourning and grieving. His favorite son is now dead. And he says, I will grieve until I go and meet my son. It's tragic, really, what happened to Joseph. And a family. This is another little uh, bonus point. It's really interesting. Do you know what Jacob did to get his inheritance from his father? He deceived him by killing a goat and stealing his brother's robe. Now he has his own son taken away from him as they kill a goat and steal a brother's robe. And when you see something like that, this, this, that's irony, right? That's as ironic as you can get of a situation. The deceiver, Jacob, of his father, is now deceived by his own sons in the same manner. And when you see something like that, you think, that's too crazy. If you were going to write a fiction story, you wouldn't put that in there, right? It's too crazy to believe. But it happened. It's history. And what I, why I point that detail out is because you know that in all of these things that are happening someone is behind the scenes making these things happen think about it it just so happens that joseph when he goes to shechem doesn't find his brother just a man happens to be there who knows exactly where his brothers are it just so happens that when he gets thrown into his pit and his brothers are plotting how to kill him it just so happens that this midianite caravan comes by and they're willing to buy a slave it just so happens is it coincidence See, in all of these situations, it's not a coincidence. It's what we call providence. God is behind these situations. And I point that out because sometimes in our lives when these terrible things are happening, how could this happen? How could this be so awful? Even in the worst times, even when we're in the pit, we need to know that God is at work. And we need to know the why of it. I want you guys to write this down. This is so important. Before God takes you to the top, he puts you in a pit. I got out of bed for that, man. Before God takes you to the top, he puts you in a pit. This is what we're going to see with the life of Joseph. Joseph does be brought into Egypt where he's going to do incredible things to save that nation and the nations of the world and his own family. He will do great things. He will be brought up to be second in command to Pharaoh. It will turn out that his dreams come true, that his brothers and his father bow down before him. But before he could do any of those things that God had called him to, to that place at the top, he had to go into the pit. And I say this because when, when you're in the pit, you feel like this is awful, this is terrible. How could this happen to me? But God is at work. He is. He's working in this situation to guide it to deliberately allow some difficult things to happen to us for a reason, for a reason. And when I say to the top that God has a purpose for our lives, he has something important for us to do and important to become. Not that you're going to be rich, you're not going to be second in command of Pharaoh maybe in your life. But God has something that he wants for us. But before we can actually get there, we're going to have to go through the trial. We're going to have to go through the valley before we can make it to the pit, pit, to the peak. You're going to have to go into the pit before you can make it to the top. <clears throat> this is a challenging word, isn't it? And we wonder, we're still like, well, well, God, why are you doing that? Why are you working in a situation like this? But that's what God does. And that's what God does to train someone. To make someone become the person they're meant to be. There's this quote from Khalil Gibran, the author, and he once said that out of suffering have emerged the strongest souls. The most massive characters are seared with scars. God is working now in Joseph's life. We're going to see over the next several weeks how this suffering, how these challenges build him up into the person he needed to be. But it's the same for our lives. We want to get to the top too quickly, too easily. But if you do, you won't have the character you need for those situations. You won't know how to handle it. So that's why God brings us down into the pit first. I told you at the beginning of my message about that story about that guy named Greg, right? Greg, who had his um, wife leave him for another man, and had to fight and use all his money to get his kids back. Finally he did, and then he was this broke, single father trying to raise his kids. How was he supposed to handle that? How was he supposed to write the book he needed to to advance in his career so he could make enough money to take care of his family? He was desperate. But his church surrounded Greg. They started helping him with meals, with whatever they could. And then his parents sold their house, moved to where he was, thousands of miles away, so that they could help raise those kids. People came around him to support him and encourage him. And he was able to finish his book, to sell it. And within two years, he had an even better job. He was stronger. And what's really interesting is there's this professor named Jonathan Haidt. And as far as I know, I don't know any of his religious faith, if he had any at all. But he goes and he interviews Greg for a book that he's writing. And what Greg said, he said, you know... I really like the opera. He says that in every single opera, there's this moment in about the third act where the main character, the protagonist, is crying. They face so much difficulty in their life, they're weeping, and then they sing a solo, an aria, for those of you who are opera fans. And they sing about how that difficulty, that hardship, is going to lead them to be able to move forward. And Greg said in this interview with Jonathan Haidt, he said, Right now, I'm seeing that because I know God is using this. And he said, you know, I have more happiness now than I ever had before. I'm stronger now. I finished this book. I have a career. I'm doing so much better than I ever could have done if I hadn't gone through that trial. Sometimes when we're in the pit, we don't see the end, right? We don't know how it's going to turn out and how it's going to be made better, how we're going to raise to the top. But God is putting us into the pit. He's bringing us into the valley to take us out of it. Stronger than we were when we entered. And if you're thinking, well, Matt, I don't really like that. I don't like that idea. I don't like the idea that God would put someone into a pit or allow someone to fall into the pit. But here's the thing. We understand when a coach is really hard in the summer, putting the kids through two-a-days so that those athletes can be tough enough to make it through the season and win a championship. We uh, understand when a surgeon has to put someone underneath the knife, cutting them open in order to remove the tumor. We understand when a parent disciplines his child and his child is sad and upset so that he can train that child to be the person that they need to be for life. We understand that, right? Yet somehow we forget it when it comes to God. But it tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God is your dad and he loves you. Jonathan Haidt, in his book, summarizing his interview with Greg and other people, he said people need adversity, setbacks, and perhaps even trauma to reach the highest levels of strength, fulfillment, and personal development. Professor can see that. We understand that from the world around us, but yet we still don't like it, do we? It's hard. It's not fun to be in the pit. It's not fun to be where you are right now, suffering and struggling. And we wonder, couldn't there be a different way that God does this? Couldn't there be a different way? But we know, we know that you don't change in your life unless something hard happens. You don't develop character unless you go through the crucible. We know that heard an analogy from Tim Keller, and I was thinking about it with my own daughter, with McKinley. She's 21 months old. Think about if I was to try to explain to her how to get to college, how to make it into a college, right? Do you think she would understand a word of what I'm saying? Do you think she would understand any concepts? And she gets words now. She even gets some concepts But if I was going to teach her about how she's going to have to do all this homework through 13 years of school, that she was going to have to study hard, that she was going to have to take the ACT or whatever SAT or whatever test you have to take, that she was going to have to apply for scholarships, save up some money in order to get into a good college. think if I explained that to my 21-month-old, she would understand. Well, we're God's children, and we don't understand. I heard a saying um, that God... That God sees the end from the beginning. But we don't see the beginning until the end. Does that make sense? It's not until we get through it till the end, until we're mature, that we understand and look back, oh, now I get why that had to happen. But God knows from the very beginning exactly where he's taking us. And that's why when he puts us in the pit, it's only to raise us up. God is working out in all things for the good of those who loved him. God is working out those situations, working out the pit to develop in us the character we need so that we can accomplish and be the person we need to be later on. God is working in those things even when the pit seems insufferable. Um, I want to tell you another story. This is about a good friend of mine. Um, This is a good friend of mine in, in Nebraska. And he suffered greatly. He got thrown into a pit that was terrible. My friend Miles, um, we knew him pretty well. He, he was at a different church playing, but he, he sold us musical instruments to Mullins and I, so we became pretty good friends with him because we were always at the music store there in Kearney, Nebraska. Well, one day, he left his two kids, his three-year-old and his 18-month-old at home with his wife. He was driving early just two years ago, in December, for a Christmas party at work. They were having an early morning breakfast. And as he was driving in the dark on the highway, there was someone driving straight towards him with the headlights off, driving 140 miles an hour, straight into Miles. The other driver was killed instantaneously. But Miles was left in a terrible car accident on the side of the road with a bad brain injury, a shattered pelvis, and a shattered when the firefighters came um, in an interview, and I'll link to the video on our Facebook page later today where, where it tells the story. He, the firefighters had never seen a wreck that bad. But they got him out, and they immediately life-flighted him to Lincoln, Nebraska, because they knew there there's no way. They, they needed the best doctors. And he went into that trauma center, and, and they thought for sure he, he won't make it. Or if he does, he's going to have brain trauma for the rest of his life. And for weeks, months, he was there in the hospital, but he recovered. Slowly but surely, he came back. And the reason I tell his story is because a little while later, um, he wrote this on Facebook. He said, I just want to say thank you to anyone who has reached out and done something for our family or for sharing kind words with either of us in person, by text or Facebook. I am overwhelmed by how loved we have been treated. Being in the car accident and being in the hospital have been new for us in our family. But we are so blessed. Blessed to have family helping watch our kids. Blessed to be alive and have a chance to be with my wife and see my kids again. Blessed to have so many helping with so many things and sharing very kind words. I am thankful for each and every one of you. And get this, this is why I want to share this with you. And I'm thankful God has done this in our family's life. God has done this, this car accident, this pit that I had to suffer through he's still working to recover from. But he realized as a Christian that even in that pit, God was doing that to prepare him for something, to build him up, to take him to the top. Before God takes you to the top, he puts you in a pit. And how can we expect anything else? Because our own Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, went to the pit, didn't he? Did you notice how similar Jesus is to the story of Joseph? Like Jesus... I'm sorry, like Joseph, Jesus was uh, rejected by his own brothers. He was stripped and beaten. They put a robe on him to mock him, a royal robe. They called him king of the Jews. And he was betrayed for pieces of silver, just like Joseph was. But then Jesus wasn't just left for dead, was he? He was killed. They made sure he was dead by poking a spear in his side. They heard him breathe his last as he was crucified on the tree. What we know in the gospel is that Jesus died and suffered and went to the worst pit. So we don't have to. This is what we read in John chapter 16. This is what Jesus said. In this world, you are going to have trouble, but be courageous. I have overcome the world because Jesus then rose from the dead, proving that he has power even over the deepest pits of our life to give our life meaning and purpose so that we can make it through. So if you're here and you're struggling right now, you're like, Matt, I'm in the pit. How do I get out? You need to realize that God is doing something in your life, something important. And it hurts. It's not pleasant. It's painful. But before God can take you to the top, he's going to put you in that pit, and it's for a reason. Let's pray. Lord God, we don't understand always why the particular of our situation, why this way, why couldn't you have done something a little bit different? But God, you are our father. You know. You have a reason. You have a purpose. And that through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, you will make all things right. That you will work out all things for our good because we love you. So, Lord God, I pray that you would fill our hearts with the courage to continue moving on. That you would lift us up even right now in our spirits, knowing in our minds, knowing in our hearts that you have a good plan while we're in the pit for those who are here. And I pray especially for those who are suffering this morning that they would put their faith in you, that they might have a hope that you will lift them up. Lord God, for all of us, help us know that you are working in our trials and our suffering, whether we're in them now or we have been and we're coming out or we're going into our future. Lord God, show us that you are good, that you are working it all out for our good. I pray this in Jesus' name.